Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this 155th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include celebrity chef Stuart O'Keefe and comedian Amy Phillips. They'll be talking about their book, Cook It, Spill It, Throw It, the Not-So-Real Housewives parody cookbook. We'll also visit with Carter Osterhaus about the upcoming episodes of The Great Christmas Light Fight. We'll also visit with rapper extraordinaire Doug E. Fresh. He's got a new album out, a tribute to Chuck Brown, that's available now. We'll also visit with cinematographer, writer, and director Edwin P. Stevens about his new documentary, Alice is Still Dead, available now. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and of course, share with your friends. Now, traveling for the holidays is a thing again, more so than last year anyway. A new poll found just under half of us will travel for Christmas, Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa this month, but most of us aren't going very far. 47% of Americans will go somewhere for the holidays, up from 34% last year. But most people say they'll stay within 100 miles of home. 19% said they'll travel 100 to 500 miles, 8% said up to 1,000, and another 8% will go farther than that. 13% of people, or around 1 in 8, plan to fly this year. We've got celebrity chef Stuart O'Keefe and comedian Amy Phillips uh, talking about the new book, Cook It, Spill It, Throw It. And uh, first off, guys, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Oh, we thank are you. delighted us, to Cameron. be here. Yeah, thank you. Now, tell us where where the idea for the book came from. Amy, was it you or or Stuart that f came up with first brought this up? I'm glad you asked. You know what? I <laughs> wish I could take credit. I, I'm just along for the journey. He invited me along. It was his amazing idea. Um, so I like I'm a chef. I ha I already have a cookbook out, and I was thinking up of like my second one. And I was like, look, I want to do something different. I don't want to do another kind of like quick six fix or like minimal ingredients or whatever. And I was watching the housewives one night, and I just was like, wait, has no one done a cookbook based off the housewives? I mean, it just seems silly because they're sitting around at a table, they're eating, they're drinking, yeah. ordering cocktails. Sometimes always. they're throwing them always. And so I just was like. <laughs> This well, they're not so really eating a lot. You know, we, we know they don't eat a lot, but they are around food a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, look, I can do this book, but I definitely need like a helping hand. I need an expert on this. And I knew of Amy Phillips. So we reached out to her and here we are. Yeah, I signed on faster than a housewife walks off of a reunion. Um, I just was like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest idea. I mean, it is just like Stuart was saying. They're always, you know, every episode, how do they get together? They've got to go to dinner. Someone's got to have a dinner party. They have to have drinks. I mean, they're always drinking. I mean, in order to get into those food feuds, you've got to have a little buzz, I'm sure, on some <laughs> level. Um, so it's just, it's so obvious to me when he brought this to light. I was like, this is incredible. It is the time and place that food and drink need to be associated with housewives. And now, and even though this is about the real housewives and it's a very much a parody cookbook when we... We, I, I talk a lot about the moments that happened and in a funny way, um, but they, these are real recipes because he's a real chef. So you're getting delicious food and drink here. I mean, it's not just a joke. <laughs> there are jokes, <laughs> yeah. but the food is not a joke. <laughs> and, and I spent a lot of time in these recipes, like <laughs> they're real recipes. <laughs> that, that was okay, my question. Little resentment. <laughs> how, how hard is it to, to keep the sincerity on the recipes while, while also getting the humor in there as well? Is, is that, was that hard to meld the two together? 
Um, I think, well, look, I have Amy for that, you know, so like I can focus on the recipe and then me and Amy will come together going, okay, like, how are we going to make this funny? Like there was this moment in the housewives, like how can we, you know, for example, Orange County, uh, Kelly Dodd hit Shannon Medora over the head, like with like a gong and she had a bowl of her head. And so Amy was like, Stuart, we need to like hit something. Like you need to hit something. I'm like, oh my God, we could do a chicken pie art because you have to pound the chicken pie yeah. art. Can we bang? Yeah. What do you, what do you make in the kitchen that you bang? You know, I mean, exactly. I like to cook, but I don't really know too much. And so he's like, yeah, chicken pie art because you bang it. And then you, you know, you, you uh, well, you know how to cook it. But anyway, so that's how, so we did kind of find these funny moments coming up with the recipes while we were writing them. So that was actually, it was hilarious as things went along. Like for example, Candy Burris from Atlanta um she has her brand which is candy coated candy coated nights candy coated this candy coated that and i was like we have to do something that's candied what can we do that's candied so we came up he came up with like wings chicken wings and it's perfect because she's got a song that's called i fly above so it's like the wings that i flying and the candy it's it's the whole thing (laughs) i'm losing i'm losing cameron but i mean that's how we get there so it's it's also just very much you know a lot of mind melding a lot of you know taking themes and, and a lot of puns. There are a lot of puns. Mm. You can shy away from those, of course. <laughs> and some of them just like write themselves. For example, I'm just looking at a recipe right here, like the trash sprinkled cookies that Teresa threw these cookies that were like awful in the trash. So I was like, okay, well, let's make some trash yeah. sprinkled cookies. <laughs> yes. Melissa Gorga brought, she had the audacity to bring store-bought uh, uh, cookies, sugar cookies to Christmas one year. And Teresa was so offended. She said, uh, I threw them in the trash. So, you know, look, that's so we had to do, which I love, by the way, that is like one of my favorite recipes in the book. It's such an easy, I made it with my, my, uh, my daughter who's four. You just roll the cookies and the sprinkles. They're so there's, they're excellent cookies, by the way, chef. Got to tell you. Thank you. Thank you. Just made them the other day for Thanksgiving. And Stuart, (laughs) the, the holidays and cooking cookbooks as well. I mean, this all goes Mm. hand in hand for the timing here. I mean, uh, you got good timing. I was totally happy with that. I mean, the publishing day kind of went back and forth and then they finally were like, okay, it's going to be November. I was like, I'm so happy about that because everybody is in the kitchen. Like November and December are the two months I feel like where everyone's in their kitchen. So there's a lot of recipes in this book. Like just, you know, the cocktails, obviously those trash sprinkler cookies. There's a recipe poop, Poop hat peach cobbler. Ah. I know the name is kind of a bit like whatever, but, but it is, is a so delicious tasty. dessert. Delicious. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> and yeah. there's a casserole in here. I mean, there's just like there's a manzocotti. Like there's these great dishes that you know that feeds a crowd, like six to eight people. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of those dishes in there, which is perfect for the time right now. Potomac is a great franchise. It's an, a real house size of Potomac. It's one of the newer cities that they've done. And we've got a great recipe called Potomac and cheese with crab. And that is one of my favorites. That's a great holiday dish as well. And another fun thing, Cameron, that we love about this book is that we've got these watch party menus. So, you know, people like to get together and celebrate the housewives just like Stuart and I do. And so we have created menus for each city. So for example, tonight, um, the Real Housewives of Orange County is premiering. So because of that, we've got a whole menu for people who want to get together and make recipes inspired by the Real Housewives of Orange County. And we do that for every city. 
And then, of course, we have a dinner party from hell menu. We've got a bachelorette party menu. And we have a you don't talk about the kids menu because I'm sure <laughs> you don't talk about the kids. But we have a great menu for kids. <laughs> that is awesome. And again, the book, Kick It, Spill It, Throw It. Uh, the Stuart and Amy want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can find more information about the, the book, the recipes, and, and everything else you've got going social media-wise as well. Let's go ahead, Amy. <laughs> well, you can find you can find the book anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere, mm-hmm. Target. Um, and so it's a great, great gift item. I would highly suggest it. Even if you're not into the housewives, get it for your housewives fans. Um, you can follow me. I do impressions, of the housewives wigs and all, um, you can find me meet Amy Phillips on Instagram and YouTube and, uh, <laughs> and on TikTok, real Amy Phillips. And you can follow me on, on Facebook at Chef Stuart O'Keefe and the same on Instagram. And you can find me on TikTok at Chef Stuart. And I just do fun little recipes that are like mm-hmm. 30 seconds to a minute long. That's a good, that's, that's the kind of cooking we can all get into, right, Stuart? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easier the better. That's right. Well, Stuart and Amy, thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on the show. Looking forward to trying out some of the recipes myself. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Have fun with it. <laughs> Fill it if you don't like it. (laughs) Throw it if you don't like it. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I should feel bad for these people or envy them. A new poll found 6% of Americans plan to do absolutely nothing for the holidays this year. Now, the survey asked people about various holiday activities and if they plan to do them or not. And here's what the other 94% of us will be up to. Number one, 74% of Americans will enjoy at least one big meal with family or friends. 65% will do a gift exchange. 53% will decorate. And 40% will venture out to look at other people's lights. 48% plan to do some baking. 38% will take part in a family tradition of some sort. 33% will go to at least one holiday party. 25% will attend a religious service, 17% will still light candles, 12% will volunteer, and 10% plan to sing songs or go caroling. Always great to visit with Carter Osterhaus. Going to be talking about the great Christmas light fight that uh, premiered, uh, well, uh, last month. It's hard to believe. Uh, now into December and uh, got the finale coming up. And Carter, first off, excited to visit about the new season. Oh, man, it's so fun. It's crazy. It's like we're shooting 10 seasons right now. Like we're shooting our 10th season. And it, the show just keeps getting better and better I feel like every single year and especially feel like now you know what people are going through people just want to see lights they want to get back to normalcy they want to have the holiday spirit spend it with family and friends and and this show definitely helps with that and and Carter I've, I've heard from a lot of folks saying that this year Christmas just seems a little harder to get in the mood for and did you have you found that as well obviously the uh, the Christmas light fight helps a little bit though I feel like last year, you know, because of COVID, we were kind of like, we were all regionalized, so we weren't like crisscrossing the United States shooting on a bunch of planes. We were more just driving from location to location. And if you could feel that energy of the people just wanting to, you know, 
just wanting to communicate and be with friends. And then this year, what we're seeing is that there's there's still that that you know this the people you know can still just sort of coming out of it, trying to get out of it, and trying to move forward. And you can feel it's like they're pushing that big boulder up the mountain. But you know what you do see is when people when these lights go on, no kidding, it's just it puts so many smiles on people's faces, and it is just it's the one it's the commonality that you know I think most everybody has is when they see these lights, you're just excited, you 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 feel like a kid again, and it's great to see. And I look, man, I'm so lucky I get to work on a show like this because it's just all fun all the time. <laughs> That's right. And uh, working along with Tanya Nayak on the show as well, I mean, she brings a, a bubbliness to it as well. I mean, h- how much does that help you stay in the mood a little bit better as well? Well, first off, Tanya is the most difficult person to be a co-host with because she's so bubbly. And I'm trying to compare myself to her. And she's got this million-watt smile, and she's always excited. And, you know, and, and look, she's great. I've known Tanya for a really long time. And, and you know, again, going back to, you know, we're shooting 10 seasons, the 10th season of the show. Tanya and I usually, like, in the summertime, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, we're going to go out again. And, and we start, you know, gearing up for it. And it's crazy to think, you know, you think of Christmas in the summertime, but that's that's where our lives exist. And, and we have to start getting ready and, and uh, you know, preparing to get out there. And Carter, how, how big are the stories that you hear from the, the viewers that are, have finally been picked for their house to be seen. How blown away are you by some of the backstories that you get to share as well? Oh, that's a good point. You know, I think because this year what we're, what we do see, we see more, we're, we're talking a little bit more backstory and I just feel like they're more meaningful because, you know, I, I think when we were seen in years past, nothing, you know, no flight against these guys, but you know, we've seen like four or seven, we've seen 4 million lights. We've seen 7 million lights. And and it's crazy when you see that many lights just to think about somebody can put that many lights up, right? But um, but what because of what has happened in our world, I really do think that like people just wanna they want to interact, they want to have that human connection, they want to you know they want it's more of the simple stuff and the lights of you know fairly simple. It's like lights and music and. You know, and, and candy canes, and um, I I think that those stories are being told because people are reflecting a little bit more and a little bit deeper on why they're doing what they're doing. And you know, lots of times people they do it for like a local charity or you know, boys and girls club or something to that extent. And and now you're seeing that a lot more. You're seeing people giving back, not just putting up the lights for their community, but also you know, kids so they can write letters to Santa. And it, that's just, I mean, when you see all this stuff that people are doing, it makes you feel like, wow, why am I not doing more? Um, and it's really, it's, but it's such an experience to see. It's really fun. And, and Carter, being a, a gadget and tech guy as well, I mean, how cool do you find some of the tech that these people have? Some of them have even designed new tech specifically for the show as well. Yeah, some of the animatronics and the programming, that's just getting off the charts. And by the way, if anybody's listening, you do not have to be a total techie, you know, animatronic builder or DIYer. I mean, you it's good to have some of those skills, don't get me wrong. But that doesn't, you know, you don't have to have that to get on the show. You don't have to have that to win the show. Um, I think if you go back to the past, I think I've 
I've picked people without the animatronics and the the you know the the all the light shows and stuff more so than I have. But uh, I pick I pick more of the traditional stuff. Um, uh, but you know what? It, when people do you know get these synchronized light displays and they nail it and they nail it right. It's really impressive to see because these people are spending most of the time more hours on these, you know, synchronized light displays than they are actually putting their lights up. You know, so they're on the computer for like 36 hours doing one tiny little portion to their light display. But you know what? At the end of the day, when it works, it totally works. And Carter, after seeing all of these presentations, do you have to go above and beyond at home, or do you just be like, "What? Well, let's just put it up. <laughs> we'll just put it on the screen. Look at those lights." Oh, Cameron, if you only knew, it's so funny. It's like my my neighbors expect me to like, you know, my family expects. Oh, yeah, you should do that, right? I think that's the expectation. But the reality is quite different. Now, do we put up lights 100%? Um, but I, we don't go to that extent because if we did, I would just get judged on it. People would probably knock it. So I feel like it's just better off having a, a minimalist approach. That's awesome. Well, again, Carter, always want to make sure and, and let our listeners know where they can keep up the great Christmas light fight upcoming episodes and, of course, everything you've got going social media-wise as well, sir. Yeah, if you just go to Carter Oster, I took out half of my last name, so it's O-O-S-T-E-R, uh, on all social media, and you can you know, follow along with my travels on the Great Christmas Life Fight and the other shows that I'm working on. That's good stuff. Well, Carter, always great to visit with you. We know it's holiday season when we get the call, and uh, hope you have a happy holiday season, and uh, look forward to catching up again real soon, brother. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it, buddy. It's hard to buy a gift for someone who already has everything, so here are some ideas. In a new poll, people were asked what gifts you can always fall back on. And chocolate was the number one answer, with 58% of people saying it's universally accepted. Holiday gift baskets are second, followed by gift cards, clothing accessories like hats, mittens and slippers, socks, seasonal popcorn, pajamas, self-care items, cash, and food. Now, 63% of Americans have received a duplicate gift for the holidays, which is one reason why a gift you can eat is great. Two chocolates, always better than one. And for what it's worth, 58% of people claim that they're easy to buy for, while 5% admit that they're impossible to shop for. So many accolades go along with it. You might know him, also known as the human beatbox. That's how I, I refer to him, you know, in normal conversation. We've got Dougie Fresh on the line with us. And Dougie, good to visit with you, my friend. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope that uh, everything is going beautiful over there in that beautiful, beautiful Oklahoma. It is it is going as good as can be, uh, sunny and 75 for today. So you can't get much better than that, right? Oh my God! You can't beat that. You can't beat that. And and Dougie, talk about the the new project. This one's for Chuck Brown. I'm excited to talk about this. A great new album available now. And how excited are you to have some new music in the in the in the ears of the listeners today? Oh uh, well, first, I mean, you know, I'm very excited to have some new music on, and I'm very excited on what this music represents. This one's for Chuck Brown. 
is about the man who created this form of music called Go-Go. And he's someone that I got to know, someone that I performed with. And this style of music is a celebration music. It's a party music. It's a good feeling music. And I felt that he needed to be acknowledged because a lot of times artists create things and they don't get their full acknowledgement. You know, and this project was very important because before Prince passed, me and him were going to do a live album together. So this album represents the album that me and him would have done. And he loved Chuck Brown as well. And he loved go-go music. So this is a special project. That's why, that's what made me really want to do this. And, and how much over the last couple of years has has the inspiration for music or maybe the, the lyrics or the sound in your head, has that changed over the last couple of years? Uh, no, I still, I still get inspired. And it's funny, too, because this album was inspired by, I mean, I was just laying down. And then uh, it came to me as a dream. And it said, you know, write a song about Chuck Brown. And not too long ago, or rather, yeah, not, I could say not too long ago, you know, it was me performing in D.C., and I remember it like it was yesterday, and we were performing on the Capitol lawn, and he called me to perform with him. And when I came out there, it was such a good time, and, and you know, it's just, it's just sometimes when you, it's funny to me, songs come to you at different moments. You can just be laying down and then something makes you do it and i feel that is a connection to a higher power that that's putting you in a place to speak about something that needs to be said even if people don't really think it needs to be said you know the artist says things that people don't even know they needed to hear until they hear it you know and Dougie, how much can you uh, attribute the way words come through music can can be taken differently than the spoken word as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because sometimes, you know, when you hear a beat, the beat inspires you to say something. See, because music in itself, it's not words, but it, it triggers words. It triggers melody. You know, melody triggers words. It's all connected you know and then situations things that you go through in life things that you observe things that i mean when i'm looking at my first three albums which are also i just released my first original albums i was writing about the experiences of everything that i was going through so all of it kind of connects and then i would make a beat that connects to that experience and, you know, or feel like that and then write the lyrics, kind of like scoring a movie. You know what I mean? Now, for, for you, which which is the first? Is it is it the lyric? Is the beat? Or is it just uh, dependent on the inspiration that day? It comes from, you know, there's no order. There's no order. It's just you have to be open to receive it because... You know, I never thought that I would be doing a go-go album. I never thought that. And then all of a sudden, bam, I'm doing it. I never thought that, you know, Prince loved go-go as much as me. I never thought that Biz Markie would be on the album. So I think when you stay open to receive it, it comes in the form of what it's supposed to be. You could just hear a hand clap, and that could inspire you to write a whole song. 
It's interesting when you, you know, that's an interesting question you ask because now I'm thinking about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it, you know what I mean? Now, Dougie, what's it like to get the the response from a different type of music that's out there for folks now? How, how cool is that to receive as well? Oh, man, that's beautiful. It's beautiful because, see, when I'm performing, I do, I perform in all, like, I do shows all over the world. I perform in front of all different types of groups from hip-hop to rock, pop, soul, R&B, reggae, soca. It doesn't make a difference, so... A lot of times, you know, when you see a different group of people that don't listen to that kind of music, just hear it, and then they start moving and dancing and they're enjoying it, you know, it just makes you see how music is the universal language, you know? And, uh, Dougie, if folks want to keep up with everything you've got going on, the, the music, upcoming tour dates, and uh, and how cool is that? To, what's it like to, to, to be in front of a live audience again? How much did you miss that? that tremendously i just got finished coming from buffalo and i did a concert up there and it was it was so nice to be out and be in front of people and i could tell they enjoyed seeing me because we haven't been in front of each other due to all of these you know due to the circumstances of what's going on in the world you know so i'm i'm getting ready to go back out and that was like a test for me just to see how it feels you know, how is everything set up? Because, you know, you got to watch out for, you know, keeping the distance and still doing all of the different things that need to be done. But I could tell people need entertainment as much as entertainment need people, you know? That's right. Now, Dougie, if folks want to keep up with uh, with the music, the upcoming dates, and, and all of your social media, where is the best place for folks to keep up with everything? Oh, they can... Uh, they can go to my Instagram, which is at the real Dougie Fresh. That's my IG, and uh, and my website is DougieFresh.com. And you know, it's 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 uh, you know, it's really good that uh, that we got to have this conversation because you ask some good questions. You do. You make you you making me think about what I'm doing. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, I like that. I like that. I like that. Sometimes you don't think about the things that you do because you're just doing them. But you know, when you ask certain questions, it make you have to go. Hmm, you know, let me look at that. You know. Well, Dougie, it has been a privilege to visit with you, sir. Like I said before, been a fan for many years, and hopefully, we can catch up again real soon, brother. Definitely. Thank you very much for this interview and all of the questions. I appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you hate Christmas music. A psychologist in Pennsylvania broke down the reasons why holiday music can be stress-inducing. The main one being if the songs serve as a reminder of a bad memory or experience, especially from childhood. It can also be mentally draining, especially when it's played non-stop. Not to mention, if it reminds you of everything else that's stressful about the holidays, like buying presents, decorating, and cooking for groups of people. From the psychologist's perspective, it's best to uncover the root of the stress. But when it does come on, maybe play your own music on a pair of headphones, and of course, avoid it in your own house and car. 
You can also ease up on the so-called requirements of the holiday season. Quote, it's taking more control and doing things as if you can fit it into your lifestyle. Got a, uh, a brand new movie that's available anywhere you pick up uh, on demand iTunes, Tubi, a couple that we talked about before we came on. Edwin Stevens with us. And uh, first off, Edwin, it's a privilege to have the chance to visit with you, sir. Hey, thank you so much for having me. The privilege is mine. Now, the the documentary we mentioned, I, I was going through doing a little, a little research a few moments ago. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes did uh, gave you guys brilliant numbers uh, coming from Rotten Tomatoes. Alice is still dead. Tell us uh, what it's like to get that kind of a feedback, if you will. That's fantastic. I, uh, this is new to me, so that's really great news to get on the air. Yeah, um, that feels really good. You know, this this is a film. Uh, it's it's about it's about um, my sister's murder and uh, what what it took uh, out of myself and my family, and and trying to get back to finding some kind of normal, and, and just just really putting the viewer in the shoes of a family as they grieve with this kind of you know sudden violent in in intentional loss right um you know it's a little bit different than that someone meant to kill her right um but i do think that you know people who are going through any type of loss can relate so um but you know granted the the personal nature of the project it feels really really good that other people are connecting with it and that they think that it's you know well done enough to give us positive reviews that's fantastic now, how was what was your view going into the project and, and what is your view after the completion of the project where folks have it in in front of them to check out now? Going into the project, I, you know, just being a filmmaker and having this life changing event happen to me um, for the first couple of years after her murder, I just we were all out of sorts and I just I couldn't figure out any type of vehicle to make myself feel better. Um, you know, there's a lot of waiting, you know, they didn't know who had had committed this crime for a long time. I mean, they didn't uh, arrest anyone for a year. So that was just hellish waiting for that kind of feedback. Right. Um, and just, it just felt like a lot of helplessness, a lot of hopelessness and a lot of waiting around. And then, um, you know, for better or worse, I guess I just got impatient. I said, you know what? Um, I've, I've done therapy. Um, I, I've been, you know, taking some time off here and there. I think what I need to do is attack this thing head on and I need to create some kind of art with it. I needed, I needed an outlet basically. And uh, so this, this film started that way as like, oh, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of confusion about what happened. Uh, I wanted everyone to know that Alice was innocent, that she wasn't involved in drugs or, you know, gangs, which is what a lot of people just hypothesize because of the nature mm -hmm. of the crime. You want to think that someone did something that that they knew that there was the possibility of violence. Right. But unfortunately, in her case, it wasn't that way. So part of it was to, you know, preserve her good name, but but also just reflect on her. And I really wanted to. Um, just make a film about how great she was. And then as I started going through uh, and interviewing a bunch of people from her life, I realized that this is more than a short, this is going to have to be a feature. And I think that it can, you know, maybe relate to other people like we were talking about. I think um, it became a lot more about the grief and a little bit less about Alice specifically. Uh, it is about her, but I do think that it's 
it's more about dealing with with the with the grief and and the fallout and the fact that you know it's now been eight years and I'm still not who I was before it happened and that's okay you know like we change and and I think we don't give ourselves enough patience or or, or credit um, and we you know I certainly expected myself to just get over it and heal and get back to where I was before that and it's just going to be different. When you have, um, you know, someone in your family that was that important to you taken away from you, it's going to be different. And I think that's unfortunately, if we live long enough, that's something that everyone has happened in their life. Right. Is some loved one is, is going to pass away before you and um, dealing with those feelings isn't something that we'd like to talk about. You know, I don't think there's that much media out there that's about that. We have a lot of true crime stories. And not a lot about, you know, taking a step back behind the curtain and looking at the families who are going through it. It's more about like, you know, the glorification of the crime and, and the mystery, which is interesting. And, and, and there are pieces of that in, in this film, but mostly it's about um, just navigating loss and, and trying to figure out, you know, how to how to live on. Now, for you, how hard was it in the beginning to be transparent and open about not only your feelings, but uh, but everything you're going through? And did did that become easier as the as the project moved forward? Um, for me, I think it, if I had started this film immediately after the murders had happened, I would have had a really hard time being honest because I was still trying to figure out how I felt, to be quite honest. But. From the beginning, it was pretty apparent that if this film was going to work at all, I had to be 100% open, you know, um, just it's an honest betrayal of grief. And if it wasn't a completely honest betrayal, what's the point? Right. right. I mean, it did seem invasive at times that, you know, I, I felt like I had signed off on being completely honest and open, but I did, you know, interview my family and they're in it. And I wanted to make sure that they're OK with it being completely honest. And uh, there were some difficult conversations there. So that was, I think that was more of the, the difficulty for me was I had signed off on my own film to be, you know, open, but convincing others to do the same was a little bit trickier, but everyone got on board. And yeah, I just, I just don't think this film works in any way if it isn't honest, you know. What do you think that you learned about yourself? Maybe not so much personally, but as a, as a documentarian working on this project that was also so close to you personally. You know, um, this is my my first feature that I've directed. I, I'm a cinematographer by trade. Um, it did teach me that I really enjoy directing and I like being the person in the hot seat or the other, the cold seat, I guess, the <laughs> one asking the questions. Um, I, uh, I actually didn't really enjoy being on camera, but that's, you know, few do. Um, <laughs> and what did I learn about myself? I guess that I do enjoy directing. I like, you know, um, I like every aspect of filmmaking and I've kind of been trained a little bit in every aspect of filmmaking. So it was nice to, to make a film, um, just, you know, by myself as opposed to supporting others, which I do love to do. Um, but all in all, um, it really just, I think it taught me, hmm, it taught me, uh, just how difficult it is to be completely open and that, you know, that I still have a ways to go. And it, it did change me a lot to realize, oh my gosh, like it's really difficult at first to be open and honest. Um, like it's just, it, it makes me anxious, but then once it gets off your chest, it's so much better. And I think that 
Um, it's really helped my relationships with my friends and my family, and especially with my wife and children, um, to, to be more encouraging, to be honest and, you know, have the difficult conversations when you need to, as opposed to avoiding them. That was something that I definitely learned, um, because, you know, not avoiding the situation, going straight at it when everyone thought I was pretty crazy to, to not try to like put it in the back of my mind and have it be literally all, all I was working on for a few years. Um, that, that was tremendously helpful and therapeutic. And um, that taught me that lesson for sure. And, and that's one of, along the lines of what I was going to ask you, how therapeutic has the process been and how has, uh, how has your healing did, th- has this helped that or has it made it maybe uh, reopen the wound a bit, if you will? I think, um, I think there's a little bit of both, but mostly it was, it was therapeutic and healing. Um, you know, I got to interview all these people, a lot of these people I'd never met before, you know, I mean, Alice was an adult and she lived on the other side of the country. And so some of the people in her life that I, I just found on Facebook and then they were willing to be interviewed. Right. So um, that was interesting was to meet new people from her life and, and gain new stories. It was almost like making new memories uh, with her that, you know, she's dead. So I never thought I would gain new memories, but it was really exciting to learn new stories about her. And maybe, you know, I mean, I had a pretty broad picture of who she was, but, you know, little things like, oh, I didn't know she was like that quick witted or that she cared about people just as much as people said. And then she would take time out of her day to do things that, you know, we have busy lives. It's, 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 it takes a lot sometimes to just, you know, go out of your way to do even the simplest little thing for someone else. Um, and so that was extremely helpful um, to, to have like a nice, well-rounded picture. And, you know, she's taken from us so horribly. It was really nice to take the power back from that situation and, and be left with, with really nice memories and, and, and thoughts um, and opinions from, from people who knew her very well, as opposed to just having a bitter taste in your mouth that like this was gun violence and it's over, you know? Um, and it was nice to know that other people remember her too, for sure. And does, did hearing all of those anecdotes and stories from her friends that, that were are now friends of yours uh, after all of this process, how, how did that help you heal? And how did that make your heart feel? I know I lost my brother a year ago and had to go down, go through all this stuff. And, and I know how those stories and those inspirational stories of other people, how they, they made my heart feel. And I, I'm sure it had to be the same for you. Exactly. It's funny, you know, um, there's two types of people. I think that after someone passes, like either you can, the vaults open now and you can tell any story, even if it's embarrassing, right. Or, <laughs> or there's someone who's like, well, I don't feel comfortable. She never consented to me telling you. Um, so I do think that I was able to, to get a lot more from people, um, you know, uh, under the unfortunate circumstances. Uh, and it really, you know, again, did did create like a very well-rounded, fleshed out picture of who she was, which was wonderful to. And again, just, you know, I knew who she was and I shouldn't have doubted it. But when this happens to someone, you know, I just I didn't know what to think, you know, that was she involved in something like did the police find something that we're not allowed to have access to right now? And it was nice to be reassured that, no, she was the person I thought she was and and she was a good person. And, you know. It really put to bed a lot of those anxieties for sure. And that felt really, really good. And, you know, there were, I, 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 I gotta think that this is, you know, 
in the production of this film, the filmmaker cried as much as <laughs> maybe any other film that's ever been made. Um, you know, I had tears in my eyes in almost every interview and it was so, it was so cathartic though. It wasn't like sad. It was like, I never thought that I'd be able to feel these happy feelings about her again. And these stories bring her back to life in some way. So it did, it did give me a lot of joy that way for sure. And, and is that the what you take the most pride from is, is the representation uh, that you have put before it on the screen? I think so. Um, I mean, it's really nice to have her story out there and have people, you know, be aware of what happened to her. And, and that, you know, unfortunately, this seems to happen a lot in our country that innocent people are, are murdered. And it's something that we need to deal with. And this isn't something that I harp on in the film, but hoping that, you know, getting to know someone and because you just think that'll never happen to me you know, or, or someone that I love and to know that she didn't ask for it and she didn't have anything to do with, with criminal activity or anything. And it did happen to her that it is a concern that, that we need to, to, to think about. I think that's important, but, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that it, it does have the true crime. It has the mystery and it has the look behind the curtain. It has a lot about who Alice was growing up. Um, but it also, you know, has a lot of the, the true crime like courtroom um, uh, <clears throat> melodrama where, you know, we're just we're waiting to hear the verdict and it's real time. You know, it really was that nothing, nothing, nothing's recreated. It was exactly the way it was. And and to see that from the family's perspective instead of the like the chess of the courtroom, I think is maybe a unique perspective. I'm pretty proud of, of the way that we were able to capture that. And one of the things I, I, I'm thinking of, you talk about the courtroom and when, whenever we see the courtroom on TV, we think of this coming to an end quickly. But how long and drawn out was that process and how 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 much extra pain, emotional pain do you think that caused on the family? Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I always think of like a Law and Order episode where by the end of the 44 minutes, you know whether they're going to walk or not. And that's just not the case, unfortunately. Um, excuse me. They, um, yeah, like I said, they made arrests after one year and then I believe it took another year and a half to get the first trial and then another year from there to get the second trial. And, um, yeah, it took a lot of time and, you know, it was a lot of anxiety wondering, you know, uh, will these people get off even though like it's pretty obvious that they did it. There, there was no like hard physical evidence that they were there, no fingerprints, no DNA, no things like that. It was all hearsay, really just, that's probably the incorrect term, but just, you know, people, them talking to people about what they did. And then, you know, thinking, well, how, how could all these people know these accurate facts that weren't released to the papers if, if they didn't hear it directly from the source and just praying that the jury, you know, sided, sided with, uh, you know, what we knew was, was the right verdict. Um, but, but the defense made it really hard and, and it, it was, that was something that I, you know, I didn't, I've always understood, you know, it made sense that it's fair in the court of law that there's a defense, but then when you're on the other side of it and it's like life or death for you, man, is that difficult to sit through? And, and um, so, yeah, that, that part was, was challenging. Um, and it was even more challenging, I think, to have it on camera because, you know, Again, you want to be as honest as possible and you want to be in the moment, but in the back of your mind, you know that they're recording and sometimes you get self-conscious, but I think we were able to, to open the doors there. But yeah, the courtroom was really, yeah, it took a, it, it was a long and anxious 
uh, anxiety inducing process for sure. And Edwin, what is your uh, intended takeaway from it? If it went, after a viewer has watched uh, the documentary, what is your expected takeaway? I'm hoping that by telling my my own personal story, that other people will be um, will be inspired to to realize that it's okay to grieve, to give yourself a break. You know, like that things happen and they're important things. And yes, life does go on, but you know, that doesn't mean that you are completely whole in that moment. It's okay to, to break down. It's, it's okay to be honest if, if you're not, if you're not feeling up for something, you know? And I think that um, until recently, like, especially in men, I think um, like mental health was kind of a taboo subject. And I really, I'm hoping that people see how open I was and how hard it was for me. And they realize that in the end, like being open like that did help me. Right. So I hope that other people can, can see that path. Um, but also, you know, I'm hoping that, that on the other side of that coin, people who are, who are close to someone who's grieving can, can watch it and say, Oh my gosh, like, you know, I never knew these internal thoughts that the people are, are thinking and going through and how much it's affecting them every single day. Like I need to give them a break or I, I need to be there for them when they need it. And I just, I just hope that that inspires people to support each other. Um, and, you know, just, I think about just the brevity of life and how, how quickly it can be taken from us. You know, I can walk out the door and get hit by a truck right now. And I hope that I've done everything that I can to live life to the fullest while I've been here. So, you know, if you are depriving yourself of, of things that are within reason and, um, or, or, you know, you haven't reached out to that loved one to let them know how much you care about them, I would encourage people to do that, you know, and it certainly made me more open in telling people how, how, you know, my affection for them. Um, just going through the whole thing, uh, you know, because who knows? And I don't want, you know, if, if someone else that I know dies tomorrow, I want them to know that I cared about them. Right. And I think that that's something that could help us all. I, I know exactly where you're coming from with that one myself. <laughs> now, again, the the documentary, Alice is Still Dead. Edwin, I want to make sure again and let folks know if they want to find more information, uh, website, social media as well to keep up with uh, everything else you've got going too. Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram, Edwin P. Stevens. Um, the film, uh, probably the easiest way to watch it is Tubi because it's free. You just sign up for it, maybe watch a couple ads, and then you can watch the film for free. And that's probably the best way to do it. It is also available to rent or purchase on iTunes. Uh, so that's a good way to find it. But And you can also look at my company. It's APSFilmsLLC.com. That's Alice's initials. And we've made uh, five films under that production company. Um, and this being the most personal, of course. Most Thank definitely. you so much for having me. It's been such such a delight. I really appreciate it. Well, Edwin, it has been a, a privilege, brother. I'm looking forward to spending some time with it this evening. And Edwin, hopefully we can catch up again. Thank you. I would love that. Yeah, reach out anytime. Well, thanks again for joining us for this 155th episode in season two of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at GQ with Cam. 
If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, you can visit our merch store where we've got hoodies, shirts, tumblers, mugs, stickers, backpacks, and more. That's gqwithkm.com forward slash shop. If you have a special guest idea, you can email me, Cameron at gqwithcam.com. Again, like to say thanks to our good friend, Brandon Allen, for coming up with our theme music. We're going to let him play us out and hope you have a great rest of your evening.